starting a brand new series, and it is called Money Matters. From the title, you may be able to deduce what the topic of the series is. No? Okay. We're talking about money. Now, I want to acknowledge right off the bat here that sometimes when we talk about money in church, it makes people feel uncomfortable. And the reason for that is, is that there is often this misconception that the church is after your money and that we will twist your arm, guilt trip you, manipulate you into giving us your money. And I want to clarify right from the very beginning here as we start this series that this is not about us trying to get more money from you. This series is about seeing you and your children and your children's children walk in God's blessing and financial freedom and seeing you, most of all, become the person that God has called you to be. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And my hope as we begin this series today is that we will lay a foundation that we will be able to build upon in the coming weeks. That today as we go through this teaching, that we will be looking at not just some good ideas that we came up with, but we will be looking at what the Bible says, the principles that are in God's word as it relates to money, as it relates to financial blessing, as it relates to us becoming those people he's called us to be. And so as we start, as we kick off the series today, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind that we are laying a foundation that we're going to be building upon in the coming weeks. Now, I think that one of the reasons as well that, that money is kind of this topic that's a little bit taboo is that money is something that we care a lot about. And it's something even that we argue about. They say that couples will most often argue about two things, sex and money. Now, I've been married for a little bit of time here, uh, coming up on 18 years this spring, actually, 18 years. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I have done a good job of staying married. Uh, 18 years this spring, and we have had a number of arguments over the years. I'm not going to talk about the arguments related to the first topic. I am going to share about an argument related to the second topic. In fact, when we were first married, we probably argued more about money at the time than we do now, and in part because we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, when we, we first got married, I was a student. I was attending Bible school. So it wasn't like I was preparing to go on to, you know, make a lot of money somewhere. We didn't have a lot of money. We tried to be very careful with our money. And, and I mean, like, when we first got married, we had two chairs in our living room from Ikea, two Ikea chairs. If only two of us were home, that was great because there was two chairs and two people. But if you had guests over, now your options were a little bit limited. So we would usually offer the chairs to our guests and then we would sit on the floor, or we would go to the kitchen and get a chair from the kitchen and bring it to the living room because we didn't have a sofa. I mean, at one point, our dishwasher broke down, and repairing the dishwasher or replacing a dishwasher, that, that wasn't in the cards. There was no money for that. We just started washing dishes by hand. Now, we had like a storage container under the counter that you could put dishes in, but it didn't clean them anymore. And, and when we got paid... 
I mean, the big things that we would spend money on, they were sort of fixed costs for us. They, they didn't change. There was nothing for us to argue about there. When we got our paychecks, the first thing we would do is we would take 10% and we would give it to God. We tithe. That was a non-negotiable for us from day one since we first got married. It's a principle that we were taught, that we believed in, that's all throughout scripture. That's the first thing we did. Then we would pay for the expenses on our house. We paid for all the utilities and the insurance. We put gas in the car. We put food in the refrigerator. And after that, there just, there just wasn't a lot left over. I mean, we didn't even have cable television. I mean, like, when we were first married... It was a special night when we went and we rented a movie. We would go to the video store, and I think, you know, it cost about five bucks to rent a movie that then you could bring home. And believe it or not, one of the arguments that we had happened to take place in public at a video store. Now, you may remember at the video stores, there was often like this bin of movies that they were getting rid of. And you could buy like a, a VHS or a DVD at a discounted rate because they didn't, they didn't want them anymore. And I had a philosophy. My philosophy was if the movie is $10 or less, then I only have to watch it twice and it's paid for. Right? If, the, if in that bin, if it was 10 bucks or less because it cost 5 bucks to rent a movie. So when we went to the video store, I would always look through that, those bins and I would comb through it. See if I could, you know, find something for like... $8 or $9. Because, I mean, if I could get a DVD for $8 and I wash it twice, it's like I saved $2. Right? It's like I saved us $2. But my wife, she had like a completely different philosophy when it came to movies. She was like, if you rent it once, it costs you five bucks and then you get to take it back to the video store and it's not sitting in our house anymore. And also, you must really like that movie if you're going to watch it over and over again. And sometimes I would find a movie... And in this particular case that we had the argument about, I found a movie that I'd already seen. And I think it was about $8, if my memory serves me correctly. And I was like, look, this falls into my philosophy of less than 10 bucks. It's a good deal. I'm going to buy this and take this home. She was like, you have seen that movie already. I said, I know. But I only have to watch it two more times, and it's paid for. Two more times, this is a good deal. And she was like, yes, but you've seen it already. What's going to happen is you're going to take it home. You're going to put it on the shelf. You may or may not ever watch it again. And now we have this DVD in our house and we're out eight bucks. I said, no, technically, once I've watched it, then we've saved money on the rental. <laughs> you can see where this is going. This, this turned into like one of those situations where there's other people around and they recognize the tension and they're like avoiding you. You know, they're walking along and maybe they're flipping through the bin as well and then they see the two of you and then they're just, they back away slowly. Like, I can tell something's going on. I'm just going to go over here and look at these movies over here. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever had uh, an argument with your spouse over $5 or $8 or $3 or some other small amount. But when we were first married, that was a big deal to us. These were, these were important decisions. And what that reveals is that money is one of those things that, that's very personal to us. Money is one of those things that, that means a lot to us because it represents security. It represents our ability to do the things we want to do and to provide for the basic functions of living. Food and shelter and clothing. So money is very personal to us, and what we spend our money on, what we do with our money, reveals a lot about what is important to us. 
And I know for a lot of people here, in the, especially in the last number of years, we have been through some incredibly difficult times. There's a lot of people who have lost jobs. There's a lot of people who may have lost a job that paid a certain amount and got another one, but it doesn't quite pay the same. Or maybe you've been on employment insurance for a while, and employment insurance, is, it's great that we have it, but it certainly isn't the same as a real paycheck coming through the door. And so often, the money or the lack of money in our lives provides all kinds of tension and anxiety and frustration. And so it's, it's like when we start to talk about money, especially in church, it's like sometimes we've sort of stepped on a little bit of a nerve and it makes people uncomfortable. And so today, as we begin this series on money, I want us to look at God's word. And specifically today, we're going to look at some things that Jesus himself said and taught about money that, are, that is going to establish this foundation that we are going to build the rest of our series on. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you have a smartphone with a Bible app on it, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, we're going to start at verse 13. And I just, I need to say a couple things before we dive into the text. First of all, we're going to cover quite a bit of scripture in this passage that we're looking at today. So this is going to cover your Bible reading for today. When you get home, you're not going to need to do any more Bible reading. We're going to do it here in church because we're going to be looking at quite a bit of Scripture. Second of all, the context of this particular Scripture is that Jesus and his disciples, they are out in public and Jesus is teaching. And in some of the previous verses, it says that there was literally thousands of of people that were milling around. So many people, in fact, were there to hear Jesus that it says they were literally stepping on each other's toes. And that's important for us to keep in mind right as we start verse 13 of chapter 12 because it says this, someone in the crowd, so think about this, some guy in the crowd out of these thousands of people said to him, to Jesus. Some translations actually say that this guy called out from the crowd. He says, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And in verse 14, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The New Living Translation says, Life isn't measured by how much you own. This is interesting to me. This guy, he's obviously in a, in a difficult spot where most likely his father has passed away and his brother isn't sharing the estate with him. And this is unfair. This is something that's taking place in his life that's an injustice. And he's bold enough to yell out from the crowd, Jesus, can you help me with my situation here? My brother is not being fair. He's not being just. You tell him, you fix this for me, Jesus. Can you tell him to give me some of the money? And Jesus' response is a little interesting and probably quite disappointing to this guy. He says, like, who am I to judge? Who am I to be the arbitrator between you? I mean, looking back, I could say, well, you're Jesus. I'm pretty sure that you could do something about this situation. I mean, you're the son of God. And instead of... of of helping this guy, instead of sympathizing with him even. This is what he says. He turns to the whole crowd and he says, guard yourself against every kind of greed. Life 
is not measured or does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I don't know about you, but if I was this guy, I would be really disappointed with that response from Jesus. <laughs> like, um, okay, Jesus, I, Jesus, I got some bills to pay here. Like, this isn't helping. <laughs> Telling me not to be greedy is not helping me. My brother still has all the money. And yet Jesus, like, points right down to the heart of the issue and not even just responding to this guy, but responds to everybody by saying, essentially, don't be greedy because your success in this life isn't dependent upon the size of your bank account, the size of the house you live in, or how fancy a car you drive. But that's not really the response that this guy wanted to hear. I mean, can you relate to him? Maybe you've been in a similar situation. Maybe in your small business, there's been a client that didn't pay the bill, and you've experienced an injustice. Or maybe you've been in the exact same situation as this guy. Maybe there's been a family member that passed away, and when it came time for the estate to be divvied out, somehow you got shorted or slided or cut, and you didn't get what was yours. And, and then not only does Jesus not sympathize with this guy, he points to the heart of the issue, and he says, don't be greedy. And then he goes on. Jesus goes on. He follows this up by telling a story. In verse 16, he says, Then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, well, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I mean, this sounds good, right? This guy's already rich. The harvest is so awesome that he doesn't even have the buildings to contain it all. He's so wealthy at this point that he's like, I don't have to work anymore. Freedom 55. I get to retire. I get to kick back. Life is going to be easy peasy for me from now on. And then in the next verse, God has something to say. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? I, I don't know about you. I do not want God to ever look down from heaven and call me a fool. Especially on the night before I die. I mean, that's a, this is a bad day for this guy. And then Jesus finishes up this story in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Oh, I bet about this point in time, the guy that yelled out from the crowd asking Jesus for help wishes that he just kept his mouth shut. I mean, think about it. He asked Jesus for help. He doesn't get any sympathy. Jesus tells him, like, don't be greedy. Life isn't measured by how much you own. Then he tells a story that essentially illustrates the idea that life is very short. Your life could be demanded from you at any time. And you better be, be careful because here's an example of someone who wasn't rich towards God and was only in it for himself. Do you know what the antidote 
to greed is? It's generosity. The, the antidote to greed in your life and in my life is generosity. When, when we are generous people, when we are generous people towards the kingdom of God, towards the things that are close to God's heart, that is the antidote to greed in our life because it takes the focus off of me and what I can get for me and accumulate for me and it puts the focus on what I can do for other people, how I can be a blessing to other people, how I can serve God with the blessings that he's put into my life and be rich towards him in my generosity. And something else that I think is very critical for us to take note of in this particular story, and that's this. When this rich man has this great idea in his own mind that he's going to tear down his barns and build bigger ones, and basically he's, he's on the path to re early retirement, God is the one that says he's a fool. God is paying attention to what this guy is doing. He's paying attention to what this guy is doing, what he's thinking, and what he's doing with his money. Think about that for a moment. God is paying attention to what we're doing. And that's because ultimately our lives belong to God. Your life and my life, we belong to God. In Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all of its people. In the next verse, it goes on to say that God is the one that established the foundation of the earth and set the land upon the seas. Every good thing that you and I have in our lives comes from God and is provided by him. He's the one that set the earth at the exact distance, axis, and rotation it is in so that it would sustain life, so that we have oxygen to breathe. I mean, even the basic things, the food that we eat, where does it come from? It comes from the animals that God created and the ground that he provides us with the, the plants and the, the, all of the vegetables and the fruits and the things that nourish our bodies. My guess is that most of us here today live in a house or in an apartment or a condo and the structure of that building is made out of something called wood. Right? Where does wood come from? From trees. Yeah, okay, you, you're, you're tracking with me. Good job. And who created the trees? Who owns the trees? Most of us arrived here in some kind of vehicle, whether it's a bus or a van or a car or a truck. Guess where the materials come from that made that vehicle? They come from the earth that God created for us and gave to us. Our very existence is dependent upon God's presence and the life that he gifts to every single one of us. And so it should come as no surprise that God is paying attention to what we do because our lives belong to him. Our lives belong to God. And I don't know about you, but knowing that, understanding that, getting a hold of that, then should change the way that I'm living, the attitude that I have towards everything, because my life belongs to him. Now, Jesus goes on in the, in the next verse to continue 
talking about money. And in verse 22 of chapter 12, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying could add a single hour to your life? Since you could not do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, but your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. See, Jesus... He initially answers this guy's question where he asks for help. He says, Jesus, can you help me? I have a money problem. I have a money problem I'm looking for you to solve. And the things that Jesus says in response are, don't be greedy. Guard yourself against greed. Life isn't measured by how much you own. He tells this story about a rich man who dies and doesn't get to keep any of these things he's accumulated for himself. And then he goes on to say, and on top of it all, don't worry about money. Don't worry about money because I'm the one who provides for you. I'm the one who looks after your needs. And the examples he gives, he talks about birds. Birds that don't have an ability to store up food in a refrigerator or in a pantry, and yet God provides for their needs. He talks about the flowers and how the flowers are beautifully clothed. And then he basically says, you are so much more important than the birds or the flowers. If I look after them, don't you think I'm going to look after you? And then in in verse 29 and 30, he says something that I want to highlight for us. He says, do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after these things. And your father knows you need them. What he's saying here is those people who don't know God, who aren't walking in relationship with God, It makes sense that they would worry about money. It makes sense that they would worry about how they're going to pay the bills. It makes sense that they would wonder if they're going to have enough and that they would want to hoard it for themselves because they don't know God. They're not walking in relationship with him. They don't recognize that he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hilltops, the one who created and sustains life on this earth and is the one who provides for every one of our needs. One of the big differences between somebody who knows God and somebody that doesn't should be our ability to trust in Him to provide for everything we need. But when I read that, the question that I have to ask myself is do I worry about money? Do I worry that I won't have enough? Do I worry? Do I have anxiety or stress about financial things? And when I'm honest with myself, the the answer to that question is, yeah, there are times I, I worry. And so then that brings me to yet another question. You see, I believe in Jesus. 
I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and for the sins of the world and that he rose again and that because of my faith and my trust in him, that my eternal soul will live with God forever. And so if I am willing to place my eternal destiny in the hands of God, why is it that I want to hold back trusting him with my wallet? Does that make any sense at all? I have to remind myself on a regular basis that the God I serve is more than able to provide for all of my needs. That I can trust him with every aspect of my life because my life belongs to God. Our lives belong to God. And he promises us in his word that he will look after us because he already knows what our needs are. You know that before you ever sit down to pray and ask God for something, he already knows what your needs are. He already knows what your needs are because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to walk in a close relationship with you. Now Jesus, he finishes off this section starting in verse 32 by saying, don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes and no moth destroys. Verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus finishes out this this section where he's teaching about money. By saying, invest in the kingdom of God. Store up for yourselves treasures that are going to be in heaven where there's an eternal return on investment. If you take your money and you invest it in an incredible opportunity here, a business or a stock or something else that produces a considerable amount of money, at the end of your life, you still can't take it with you. You still can't take it with you. And that's why Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Invest in the kingdom of God. Invest in people's eternal destiny, in the souls of people. Be someone who is is generous. Be someone who is sowing into God's kingdom so that the benefit will be something that lasts for all of eternity. And then... At the very end, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. God is after your heart. More than anything else, God is after your heart. God doesn't need your money. The money in your wallet, the money in your bank account, the house you live in, any asset that you might have, it belongs to God already. It's already his. Our lives belong to God. But there is a funny thing. that It's like there's a direct link from our heart straight to our wallet. What we invest in, what we pour our money into, what we give to, what we spend money on reveals what's important to us. And there's a lot of people who would say, 
I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet, they hold parts of their life back from him. And not always, but oftentimes, the thing that people are holding back is is their wallet, their finances. And let me be clear, I'm not just talking about the first 10% here. I'm not talking about tithing today. I'm talking about something way beyond tithing. To me, if you're a follower of Jesus, giving the first 10% that comes through the door, that's just an automatic. That's the, the, the basic thing we do to return back to God some of what he's given us. I'm not talking about tithing. I'm talking about every decision you make. Not just with your finances, but in every part of your life, submitting that to God because our our lives belong to him. I'm not talking only about putting some money towards the church and then being able to do whatever we want with the rest of it. I'm talking about submitting wholeheartedly our entire lives to God. There's a direct link from your heart to your wallet. Let me say it clearly another way. And forgive me for being bold here. Don't say that Jesus has your heart if he doesn't have your wallet. If you can trust God with your eternal salvation, can't you trust him with everything else? Now, I want to point out one other thing before we close. And that is when Jesus told that story about the rich man who who reaped this great harvest and then died that same night. When Jesus was telling that story, he didn't say anything derogatory about this guy being rich. The problem wasn't that he was rich. The problem was that he wasn't rich towards God. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, we are called to submit our entire lives to him. Our lives belong to God. And life is not measured in the abundance of our possessions. Five or six years ago, I I met an incredibly wealthy man. He lived east of the city on a large acreage. He had a beautiful home. I don't know what the square footage was, but if I was to hazard a guess, I would say it was probably two or three times the size of the house that my family lived in. And he lived there all by himself. And the house was beautiful. It was beautifully decorated. It was beautifully furnished. All the finishes were high-end. You could see in the detail of it that this was an expensive, custom-built, well-made home. And in the driveway, this guy had numerous vehicles. He had a giant truck that had some motorbikes in the back. He had a huge holiday trailer. There was a boat sitting next to the garage. There was some very, very nice things on this property. And yet, I I found out as I spent some time with him that he was miserable and lonely and had spent his entire life accumulating these things, neglecting his family, and he literally had no one even to share what he had with. And, And it just drove home that point to me that life is not made up in an abundance of possessions. And God forbid you or I reach the end of our life And for God to call us a fool because we accumulated what we had for ourselves without being rich towards God. Without sowing into his kingdom. Without investing in things that are eternal that will last forever. 
my hope today, church, for you is not that you would feel guilty. Not that you would feel pressured into somehow giving the church more of your money, but that you would feel this tug on your heart from the Holy Spirit to submit every part of your life to God, that you would hold nothing back, that you would say, God, the things I think about, I want them to honor you. The things that I do, the way I treat people, I want it to honor you. God, the things that I do with my money, the way I spend it, the way I look after it, I want it to honor you. God, every part of my life holding nothing back, I want it to glorify you. Our lives belong to God. Our lives belong to God who sustains our life. As we close this service today, I want to take an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe as we've been looking at what Jesus has said here, maybe there's been a part of you that feels that tug by the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's, you feel challenged that there are things in your life maybe that you're spending money on that you know you shouldn't. Maybe God has asked you to give to something and you've held back. Or maybe there's some other part of your life that you're currently not in submission with to God. Something that that doesn't honor Him. My prayer for every single person here today is that you would make that decision to serve God with every part of your being. That nothing would be held back from Him.